This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. You can also get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants, 18 plus, rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. I'm getting complaints that someone on the team smells really bad every day. How do I address that? Talk to Bambi. So one of our employees just reported sexual harassment, and I don't even have a policy on how to deal with this. What do I do? Talk to Bambi. One of our people never shows up when they're supposed to. What are my options? Talk to Bambi. With Bambi, get access to your own dedicated HR manager starting at just $99 per month. They're available by phone, email, and real-time chat, so onboarding and terminations run smoothly. Team members reach peak performance, and your business stays compliant with changing HR regulations. And with Bambi's HR Autopilot, you'll automate important HR practices like setting policies, training, and feedback. HR managers can easily cost eighty grand a year, but Bambi starts at $99 per month. Start your free conversation today to see how much Bambi can take off your plate. Visit Bambi.com and type assistant under streaming audio when you sign up. Spelled BAMBEE.com. Assistant streaming audio. Welcome to the Cottage Talk post-match show. I'm Russ Coleman. Joining me right now is Max Cohen. And in the lower square is Craig Coben, who was actually at Craven Cottage yesterday. We have a lot to talk about in regards to this match. This 1-1 draw for Fulham. And before I do anything else, I, I want to first go over to Max. Max, how are you doing, my friend? You looking forward to talking about this match, this 1-1 draw? You had some interesting things to share off air. Feel free to share it on air. Yeah, I think, first of all, it's great to have Craig back on the show. Um, yeah. Thanks for having me on, Russ. I think that was our best performance, I'd even say, since 2013. We played the defending Premier League champions off the pitch in the first half hour. Could have had two or three goals instead of the one. And we did it while playing Ivan Cavallero, the false nine. We had Bobby Deckard over Reed as a right wing back. And not even Mitch Rich in the squad. I think that's an unbelievable accomplishment for Scott Parker and starting 11 out there. This is the first time, again, since probably 2013, 2012, that we've looked like a Premier League team. We weren't overawed by Liverpool. We played no. the defending champions, as I said, off the pitch. And we showed we deserve to be in the, in the top flight. And sadly, I think that's not being talked about enough 
because of the discussions about the refereeing, which right. I think are valid concerns. But I just want to focus on that first half an hour. In addition to defending for the next probably 50 minutes or so when he kept the clean sheet, that this is a team, I'm, I'm going to say, we can stay up and we will stay up if we play like this. This is a defense that was leaking goals for fun yep. at the end of the season. And they completely shut down Mane, Salah, Firmino. All, they had to get a goal off the penalty. They wouldn't have sco- scored from open play. That's right. So I just want to give credit to the full players. As I said, this shows us what the Premier League is all about, going toe-to-toe with the big clubs and getting a result. And I'm so glad Fulham are back in that position. Great stuff there, Max. And as I said, my biggest uh, talking point yesterday or takeaway was that uh, I think Fulham earned some serious respect around the league, around with different fans, and just overall. And uh, it made me feel very Confident to say that I feel strongly that Fulham have a very good chance to stay in this league. And I think that performance is going to go a long way to really um, catapult Fulham moving forward. You know, you play the champions 1-1, and dare I say, you should have won the match. So uh, that's my number one takeaway. I'll ask for you guys to share your biggest takeaway in just a bit. But I want to go to Craig. Craig. Welcome back to Cottage Talk. Before we talk about your experience at Craven Cottage, I'll, we'll go into that in just a bit. I just want to get your opening thoughts on the match essay, just from your view. Russ, a year ago to this day, Fulham lost at uh, Brentford, and I was at Griffin Park <laughs> for that game. And it was a depressing spectacle. The fans were in you know, almost a riotous mood. And, um, you know, Scotty Parker's job was on the line for the next match. That's right. A year later, we outplayed the defending champions, especially in the first half. We looked extremely solid in the back. We showed strength. We showed power. We showed aggression. We showed energy. And, you know, all of us are now are disappointed that we didn't take the three points. In many respects, it feels like two points dropped, not one point gained. Yeah. So a lot of credit to the players. Yeah, a lot of credit to the players and to the staff for what has been a remarkable improvement in Fulham. Huge improvement. And uh, we're going to go through your takeaway, your biggest takeaway from the match and really break down this match in both halves. But I want to go right back to you because you were at Craven Cottage and I want to get your thoughts on your experience, everything that you went through. And I truly believe that the foam supporters played a, a huge role in the match, but I just want to get your experience being at Craven Cottage yesterday. It was, it was quite an experience. So, and it's probably one that may not be repeated anytime soon because as we've just learned, yep. um, London has entered into tier three. And so uh, the Brighton game will now be played behind uh, closed doors. Um, the first thing is the, you know, getting the ticket required, participating in a ballot, went getting the ballot, filling out an online medical questionnaire and then being told to show up between 3.15 and 3.45 for a 4.30 p.m. kickoff. I show up at 3.30 and there is an enormous queue, an enormous line from the stadium. It stretched all along Stevenage Road up to uh, Kenyon Street. If you know the, the, the neighborhood, you'll know just how long that line really was. Um, but nevertheless, the queue moved pretty quickly, and so um, we advanced, uh, you know, managed to make my way, took about 10, 15 minutes and made my way through the turnstiles, uh, showing my ID and my ticket about four or five different times, but overall without too much incident. The catering was all closed. There were um, 
you know, they had available some moisturizer for your hands, some sanitizer for your hands. Uh, quite unusual. We all had to wear masks and we were all socially distanced. I sat in the Hammersmith End. I sat in row E, which uh, is right on the border between being covered and being in the rain. I don't know why when they, there are only 2,000 <laughs> seats being, you know, only 2,000 spectators, they couldn't have put all of us under cover. But uh, nevertheless, uh, I, I sat in row E. They gave us clappers as well as a bottle of water. Um, okay. The atmosphere in the ground was fairly festive. People were cheering. Um, there were signs telling us air hugs and air high fives, um, uh, not too much shouting. But there was actually a fair amount of chanting and shouting. Um, you know, starting really with the um, the emotional tribute to Papa Buba Diop. Uh, uh, the crowd was sang a song for him, uh, and really continuing throughout the match. And so there was a fairly festive air. Uh, at times, when it was quiet, it did have a feel of kind of a, like a, a reserve match. Um, so uh, I can imagine at, that as the novelty wears off, um, the atmosphere will start to dissipate. But overall, I thought the Fulham fans were pretty loud and pretty good value. Well, I heard them. End. Yeah, absolutely. And that's going to lead me to just go right back to you, and then, then we're going to really break down the match. As the match progressed and near the, I guess you could say, the latter stages, uh, did you feel the nervousness? Even though there's just 2,000, I, I I thought they were very loud. How was the fans reacting to the end of the match? I, you know, obviously we'll talk about what happened in the end, but, but the last yeah. 30 minutes, did you feel that there might have been a change because it's funny. The announcers were saying that that they thought the fans would go from really getting behind the team to have a little bit of nervousness noise. Well, how was the atmosphere as the lead was still at one nil, and you know, again, it was really nervy times at the end. I didn't detect a lot of crowd nervousness. Now, again, we were all socially distanced, so I didn't have very many people <laughs> near me. Um, but I didn't really detect it. I think in part because uh, I thought Fulham's defense were pretty well organized and yeah. so it didn't really feel that Liverpool had all that many chances there was a couple but they didn't have all that many chances and so we felt actually pretty solid in the back and I think that sense of solidity uh was conveyed uh to the fans um there was there was a lot of grousing when the penalty was called on Kamara of course uh, we I was sitting in the Hammersmith end and None of us could really see what happened at the, because most of the action actually happened at the at the Putney end. So, um, but no, I thought overall the atmosphere was pretty constructive. It was, you know, we there was the usual amount of bile towards um, some of the Liverpool players for diving or fouling, yeah. as you would expect. Nothing, nothing out of the ordinary. We were only two thousand, but uh, there was uh, there was a good. As I said, it was a festive atmosphere. People were yeah. delighted to be back in the cottage. And it felt home. And we even had, I don't know if you guys are aware of this, but there is a builder. Uh, his name is Junior, but he became sort of uh, you know, a cult hero amongst the fans for waving his, his flag. Yeah. Uh, and uh, you know, he's on the newsstand that's being built. And he was there waving the flag. I guess his name is Junior. And so it was nice to see him back. We didn't have the Fulham Badger. We didn't have a halftime you know, shootout or any of the other you know, festivities. But uh, it still had a, had a good feeling to it. Okay. What are your thoughts about the new stand being built? Did it feel like, okay, it, this is really happening and I could really see what it's going to be? Well, it's, you know, it's it, it, a lot of the, a lot of it has been built. I mean, admittedly, it's, there's none of the finishing. It still has a long way to go, but it's, you know, it's, it's a pretty impressive stand. It's pretty substantial 
structure. Um, I actually walk past it every day with my dog so I can see all the barges and all the construction around it. And so uh, I can give you chapter, line and verse uh, on, on its progress. Um, but look, it's, def- it's for real and yep. it will be ready in whatever, another 18 months. And I think it will be a great addition. It will also be a great addition to the neighborhood because yeah. of what, what they will be doing is opening the, um, the path along the river. That's great. And uh, I cannot wait till that is finished for all the foam supporters. All right, let's get into this. Max, I, I kind of already previewed that we've been talking about it. And I gave you my biggest takeaway. What's your biggest takeaway from this match? I, I think you kind of already said it in little bits, but what are your thoughts? What do you take away from this match overall? I think one of the things is the defense, right? Um, and the biggest takeaway for that is that Tony Khan did his job. Everyone's been talking about it that, you know, almost the entire of that back five is new. new. Ariola, Ina, Anderson, Robinson, and you do have Deckard over Reed back there as well. Yep. But you, you get a new defense. And this is for me, I've been saying this for a couple weeks in the show, but when you upgrade to Premier League quality, you get a Premier League team. And that's what we had on the pitch on Sunday. And, and hats off to, to the reinforcements. There's no way Fulham would have kept the clean sheet with the likes of Reem, Hector, Adoy, and Joe Bryant starting from the off, and with Merrick Rodak in goal. It just wouldn't have happened. We wouldn't have kept Liverpool only one goal, right? This team was shipping three to Aston Villa, three to Arsenal, who looked terrible now. Um, we were a joke, four to Leeds. But it's what happens when you bring in the right players. Um, and it just shows, again, there's no room for sentimentality in the Premier League. That's right. Stick with the best players. So I want to give the hats off Tony Khan because he took a lot of criticism, and we did have a five-match, essentially, we didn't really start playing properly five matches in because of how late the business got done. But again, and look at the attacking end of the pitch. Adam O'Lookman, I think he has a really big shout for man of the match. He was superb on that left wing. Um, you look at Loftus-Cheek, I think he had one of his best games botting off the Liverpool players, uh, which Craig was talking about earlier. Yep. But you also have that mixed in with someone like Deckard Overeed and Cavalier. These are two players who weren't even guaranteed starters in the championship last season. And they p- produced starting roles with Cavalier up top and Dakota Reed at right wing back. Um, so you have the kind of combination of sticking with two players who weren't even regulars in the last yeah. season for us and getting the new players in defense. And all that goes to show for me what a great job Scott Parker's done. And he did get a lot of criticism. Scott Parker's done an excellent job. a lot of criticism the entire tenure. There are fans who don't support him. And we even question his tactics. You know, He's won me over. I can tell you right now, he's won me over. What he's done essentially since the Leicester match, you know, putting Dakota Reed as a right wing back, playing that you know, three center backs at two wing backs. No one thought it would happen. No fan was clamoring for it. And we saw it happen at the King Power Stadium from the off. We said, what is this terrible lineup? He's produced a masterclass to the point of where we can play teams like Liverpool and really should have won. The biggest test for me is the Brighton match on Wednesday. Can this approach work against the smaller clubs? But again, we had Man City, Leicester, Liverpool. I think most people expected zero points. We have four. We have four points out of that. Six I thought about ways. that. That's, that's a good chunk of points to get out of those three matches that's not bad yeah but then on the other other end you know it's going to be a dogfight the same day that we're you know heralding this performance and we're saying we've turned the corner we're a premier club finally we're back in the bottom three burnley (laughs) one of the emirates that's a big reminder for me and supporters that you know we can't get too happy just yet we have to win the winnable matches we have to win the six pointers around us and again do not bet against a sean dyche team to get relegated okay um so it's gonna be a lot tougher than we anticipated i think but I still think we can stay up if we play like this. 
Okay. And I agree with you. I agree with a lot of that analysis. Over to you, Craig. I want to get your thoughts on what our co-host just shared. And then uh, after that, please give me your biggest takeaway. It's funny because I definitely want to talk about Scott Parker. You talked about off air about how you felt full and bullied Liverpool. Certainly want to get your thoughts on that. So just give me your thoughts on what Max just shared and, and then go into your biggest takeaway, what you took out of that match. Look, I, I agree with Max. Fulham have recruited some very good players. They're physically imposing. And I thought in the first half, we practically bullied Liverpool off the pitch. Uh, we were faster. We were stronger. We were more aggressive. And we have we have players who will not get pushed around. Um, and that starts from the back and goes forward. I thought, uh, I thought our back three uh, center backs all had very good games. They were very solid and very rarely got caught out of position. I do think that Fulham are starting to get comfortable with this kind of, I don't know if it's a 3-4-3 or a 5-2-3 setup that um, Scott Parker has put in place. It is an unusual setup, but it does seem to work and it does seem to stifle a lot of teams. And you know, we have to also recognize how important it is to have two pretty aggressive midfielders in the form of uh, Anguissa and Lamina. Lamina you know, I think had struggled in some of the early games. He played pretty well, intercepting a number of passes. And Anguissa is starting to emerge as one of the best midfielders that I've seen uh, in the Premiership uh, this season. And up front, um, I thought Cavallero was electric. Maybe his finishing was, as usual, a little bit yeah. wayward. But uh, he caused a lot of problems with his runs from behind. Adam Lookman has really been the, the discovery of the season, dynamic at every level uh, and creating problems constantly. And Loftus-Cheek won a lot of 50-50 battles in the middle of the pitch, and you have to give him credit. So I think it's the physicality of the team as much as anything else that really comes across because a lot of times when you're playing the bigger teams, you do yeah. get pushed around. That wasn't the case yesterday. Okay, and what's great about that is that they weren't intimidated, Craig. They went in there with with this intent, like you said, to whether it was on purpose to bully them, but they actually had a game plan from Scott Parker, and I think it starts with Parker, so I want to talk a little bit about him. I talked about it on on full-time. What are your thoughts on how he approached this match compared to some of the other matches? Because we got to see the quality of Fulham going forward, and we got to see the solidity of the defense. So what did you make of how he set Fulham up? Look, it, it's very interesting because Parker's tactics had been defined as an almost sort of sterile uh, possession oriented uh, game plan where you would play defense effectively by holding onto the ball for as long as possible. A lot of um, horizontal passing, not very much verticality in the game, not much direct directness in the play. That was not the case yesterday. And what is interesting is that Scott Parker is a pragmatic manager and he adapted his tactics for the game. We played direct at sometimes a very direct. Uh, we were quick and we were not, we were happy to let Liverpool have possession and Liverpool, I think dominated possession for, for the part, for the most part, even in the first half, Liverpool had the bulk of the possession, certainly in the second half, but they never really threatened our goal except on one or two occasions. But for me, the big moment was there was one moment where Aina did a, a, a pass from the from the right side all the way over to Lookman on the left. A long pass must have been 40, 50 yards, controlled by Lookman brilliantly. He brought it across into the middle, shot, and it was saved. It resulted in a corner. I think that was the corner for which we scored our goal. 
And it just showed the directness of the team, that there was none of this sort of rinky-dinky passing to get out of the back. It was direct. It was fast. Um, it was actually, in some ways, relatively conservative. Um, it, didn't, it, didn't leave our, it didn't leave us exposed to turning the ball over. And it felt a lot more, you know, a lot more appropriate to the circumstances. Do you think that this is the way he's going to have Fulham set up moving forward, or is this just the approach against certain teams, Craig? Because we got Brighton coming up, and we'll be previewing that tomorrow. But I have a feeling there'll be a different approach, at, you know, going back to what we've talked about before, Parker Ball. Is this just one side of Fulham that he's showing certain clubs, mainly the bigger clubs? That's a good question. I don't know what team he's going to choose for for, for Brighton, but it does raise the question, I mean, he didn't have Karen in the in the lineup. He didn't have no. Mitrovic in the lineup. Okay, apparently Mitrovic has a has an injury, but you you would think maybe that those are the types of players and and maybe who would be more suited for a game against sort of you know the Brightons of this of this world where you could have a sort of more traditional number nine like like Mitrovic in the lineup. I don't think a Mitrovic you know has the pace really to to be able to stay in the lineup against a team like Liverpool. Okay. Max, over to you. Thoughts on what Craig just shared and what I brought up to the table. Do you think that this is going to be just one of the plans, a certain game plan for Scott Parker? I think what Craig said about the Parker ball thing is spot on. You know, I can't count how many conversations we had on the show over the past year when we lamented just the back and forth sideways passing yep. it was lugubrious you know we couldn't there was no penetration it was absolutely terrible to watch in many ways and we actually conceded a lot of goals off the passing from center back to center back to center back and that was unrecognizable versus what we saw yesterday so and, and that's what fans have been crying out for for many ways from parkers be direct you know there's no point right. having possession be more direct two yeah. center backs and we saw that uh, in terms of the directness Craig's right to say the kind of the long diagonal ball from from Ayanna right. Lookman, but it wasn't as Jurgen Klopp tried to portray it. It wasn't long ball in the sense of you know Stoke no. City or hoofing the ball pitch. It was just quick play, direct play, but not negative play. And I think that's was really refreshing to see. There's no reason he shouldn't play it like that against other teams. This is the best we've played all season. I don't know why I would change it in many ways. And I think the Mitrovic question is the best one to bring up. You know, this is. Sure. Uh, you know, a vice captain in many ways of the club. This is someone who stuck with the team through thick and thin. He should he could have left easily when we in the championship. Stayed with us. God was promoted essentially single handedly during the regular season, the championship, and he can't get a game in. And it's astonishing that we're even having this conversation. But I don't think he necessarily deserves to get his start his place back in the starting eleven because we've played so well without him. That's shocking to say. It's Mitrovic, but well, where does he fit in this style? Does he? He fit doesn't. This style? He doesn't. Yeah, he doesn't. as Craig said, Cavalier was exactly. That's, exactly. What I that's, that's the to problem it. with this. We had runs in behind. We had him combining with Lookman and 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 Dekadova Reed pushing on, and just that quick passing and runs in behind, which we don't see from Fulham. We haven't seen in such a long time, and you know we didn't really see those kind of lazy crosses into nobody. Again, a breath of fresh air, and we should play like this against Brighton. There's no way we should ditch this winning formula. Okay. Very I think Mitro, I think Mitrovic fits in the system where it's a four three three and we're putting in crosses from the right. wings and and that is that is not going to work against a team like 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 Liverpool and that's that's pretty clear. Well, we tried that four three three system 
when we were first promoted in the premiership, we were caught out. And bear in mind, the person we had trying to play the number six role was effectively Onguisa. That didn't play to his strengths either. Now right. he's playing as a box-to-box midfielder. He is much more effective than when he was playing the kind of Kevin McDonald number yep. six role, which is a very technical role, and where I think he was he felt uh, out of place. The other observation I would make with the directness that we had yesterday is it effectively nullified this Gagan pressing uh, uh, tactic that Klopp likes to use. I mean, yeah. there's nothing to press. There's nothing. The the one or two times when we try to pass it out the back, I know. Anthony Robinson was dispossessed of the ball one time in the first half. Um, so they tried to do it, but they, they, they never had the opportunity to really set up their press. We were just too fast and too much on them. That's a great point. And that's some of the talk that I've heard, again, from the Liverpool perspective, is that they weren't allowed, Craig, to play the way they wanted to play. Klopp didn't have that opportunity because Fulham wouldn't let them. So it goes back to how Parker set the team up. More importantly, it's how the players took to the game plan and executed. Like you said, they didn't; they were not allowed to play the way that they played, uh, especially it, that they wanted to play in the first half. Second half's a little bit different, but you know what? Still, Fulham were very difficult to break down in the second half as well. But let's move on. Let's talk about the starting line because I think that's a good segue to talk about it. Because in this setup, Craig, I know that We've now learned that Mitro's dealing with an injury. But let's be honest, I don't think he would have fit into how Fulham wanted to play for this match. And then, of course, you've got the Kearney question, too, because, again, I thought Kearney might might have started, but he did not. What did you think, being at the ground, and you see the starting 11, and first you see, obviously, that Mitro's not included, and the situation with Kearney, what, what were your thoughts? Um. My thoughts were that I, I tell you what struck me the most was the substitution was the use of Lamina in, in lieu of Harrison Reed. Yeah, and I thought that um, Parker was going for a more physical approach uh, in the midfield. He wanted to have two sort of, if I can say this, junkyard dogs in the middle of the pitch um, who would try to shut down um, space um, um, for for Liverpool. Uh, that was really what struck me the most. Mitrovic was injured. That was clear. Uh, it was it was interesting that he was sticking with Cavalero, who's had his ups and downs, um, and that Bobby Decker-Dover-Road has uh, Decker-Dover-Reed has really yep. flourished in this sort of right wing role. Absolutely, uh, and, his fin- and his finishing has been very very good in the Premiership, probably better in the Premiership than it was when he was playing in the Championship. Um, so it was interesting to see the lineup. We're going to stick with this this you know three three man defense or five man yep. defense as you as as you will. And there and we were going to have, get in the midfield two players who are physically very aggressive. And that what that said to me was we're going to deny Liverpool the space in the middle of the pitch, and they're yep. going to have to find a way to pass through us to get past us. Okay, very good. Over to you, Max. Your thoughts. Yeah, the Mitrovic thing was something that really dominated the early discussions about that starting eleven. Some were even speculating he had a falling out with Parker before the club. I think pretty astutely tweeted out, you know, he picked up a knock in training. I'd take their word for it, but it was nice to kind of cut down the rumors right when they're happening, so there wasn't any more speculation or whispering about what might have gone down behind the scenes. So that was positive to see. 
I think Lamina in there, I do think Lamina offers a better option than Harrison Reed, in my opinion. I think he has that experience. And as Craig mentioned, it's, it's the aggressiveness. And it's not only that they're physical. I think it's that they just want to fight more um, compared to the Premier League season we had just two seasons ago. It was just a lot of weak, passive players. You know, I think it's like night and day, honestly. The approach and the players, the way that they're setting up, you know, again, it's just really night and day. Yeah, I mean, and I think you look at just the squad, as I mentioned, Seri, someone like Andre Sherla, um, someone like Vieto. These are all players who weren't up for the fight. You look at the players we brought in this season, Loftus Cheek was very physical, very aggressive, winning the ball back, led to many good opportunities. Lookman is someone who never gives up on the ball and he really gave Trent Alexander Arnold what people call one of the best, you know, right backs in the league. Gave him a torrid time, had to be subbed off, you know, after sixty five minutes. It's just that willingness to run for the lost ball, to dive in for the fifty fifties. And these are things that are, you know, intangibles in many ways. Can't really teach that. Um but it's also I think credit to Parker. So many matches uh this season we actually haven't started well. But the big difference on Sunday was that we came out of the blocks taking the match to Liverpool. Instead of sitting back, giving up a goal within five minutes, being passive. That to me is also a really big takeaway is how aggressively started. And that's part of, partially due to the starting 11, I think. Yeah, I totally agree, Max. You know, it's funny because, again, we'll go through both halves just coming up. And, you know, the approach to begin with was aggressive. But like, Craig, you said you still think it was conservative in nature, even though you know, it's it's kind of an oxymoron. Like, I think it's aggressive in certain ways because the way we broke, you know, we took advantage of them, but we were solid at the back. So it's still conservative to you. Yeah, I don't think we were we were launching attacks recklessly in the first half. We had possession. We were aggressive. We were direct. Um, and then when they had the ball, we were pretty well set up and pretty well organized. Um, you know, what was actually quite striking, you know, sitting in the Hammersmith end was how little action I actually saw, especially in the first half. I expected that I'd be seeing Mane and Salah <laughs> doing all these great runs in front of me and I would get photos of them. You didn't see and any of just, that. I saw very little of it. It was actually at one level uh, disappointing. It's just how much of the action was at the other end of the pitch. And when you're <laughs> sitting in row E, you can't see the other end of the pitch all that easily because you're not very high up. Normally, my, my season ticket is in row QQ of the Hammersmith end, which is way up. In fact, we all – well, we, when we when in normal times, you, you stand the whole match and the right. stewards uh, allow us to stand. Um, but you have a view at the other end. I mean, I, I was so low. So it was really quite remarkable just how little happened uh, at our end in the first half. That's crazy. But I don't think I don't think Fulham were were exposed, and I don't recall Ariola having to make any saves in the first half. No, um, you know, in the second half, obviously he made that tremendous save. I think it was off Henderson. But yes. um, you know, it was a fairly comfortable experience in the first half. Maybe towards the end of the half, there was a shot by Salah that just went a bit wide. Uh, but it was almost out of nothing that they that he got a shot off. We we weren't really exposed. I also think our defense was very well organized. You know, you didn't have the gaps between the defenders that we've had in the past. Um, you didn't really, you know, I think Mane, Firmino, and Salah were comprehensively neutralized. They were frustrated, Craig. I think they were thoroughly frustrated that they could not play the way they wanted to play. And that's a testament to Fulham. 
Oh, absolutely. Um, and, you know, you can imagine just how difficult it is to control these players because exactly. they, are, they are arguably one of the best strike forces the Premiership has ever seen. And it's always That's very, right. you know, one moment of indetention and they will, they will punish you. They have that, that ability. And, you know, let's be honest, the, the rest of the, the Liverpool team is still very strong despite the injuries that they've suffered. They still have, yep. you know, tremendous depth of talent as well as a of brilliant course. manager. Absolutely. All right. Coming up next, we're going to break down the first half and then we'll go through the second half. There are plenty of talking points to talk about in regards to this match. We'll end with man of the match. Okay, guys, let's get to it. Let's do our first half analysis. Uh, I'll go to you first, Max. And as we've already kind of been talking about, you know, and I'm glad that Craig really did a nice job of explaining how Fulham played in the first half. But I think the best way to really get into it is just talk about how, again, Fulham were in control. It's funny because they had the ball, but Fulham really were dictating how this match was being played. Is that a good way to look at the first half, Max? Because, again, when we really look at that first half, even though you you look at the possession, Fulham did not have the, the lion's share of the possession, but they were not really bothered that much. As Craig said, you know, what did Ariola really have to do? But you could really see the opportunities start off early on when you have Cavallaro having a couple of opportunities. It was really starting. You could see every time Fulham had their opportunity, they looked dangerous on the break, extremely dangerous. So let's go right to a controversial moment. Let's, let's not waste any time. Let's talk about the challenge on Cavallaro and the decision by Andre Mariner that it was – not a penalty. What what were your thoughts when you watched this? And it did take a long time to go through this situation. What, what were your thoughts about the challenge on Cavallaro by Fabinho? I may be a bit of an outlier on this, but I think in the end it was the right decision. Okay. Um, in real time, I didn't think it was a penalty. Just thought it was, you know, get a corner, a nice challenge. We'll, we'll, whip, we'll whip that corner in. Nothing too much about it. Then the replay was shown, and I've seen this so many times, Ross. It's all over Twitter. You can't not see it um, on your feed. And I just, in some in, some angles, you see Fabinho just get a foot on it before it gets Cavalier. In other instances, it looks like it does get Cavalier first and then get the ball. Yep. But I think if you look at the rules of VAR, right, when the referee goes to the monitor, it has to be a clear and obvious error. I don't think it was that egregious that it was a clear and obvious error. You don't I think, think it was he made clear. The right, he made the right call, I think. Because, you know, we give a lot of stick to the officials and we can talk about the bias, et cetera. But yeah, yeah, was that to... a terrible tackle? <laughs> I'd say no. I, I think in 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 my day, not saying when you're playing football, right, a challenge might get a bit of the player before you get the ball. That's okay. It's a contact sport. Okay. I was not as angry as some other people were about this decision. Okay. Craig, I want your thoughts on this. Again, you you were on the other end of this, so you really didn't get a good view of it. What are your thoughts now that you've seen a couple of replays of it? Yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh, we co- I couldn't see it from my end, and I couldn't I couldn't even tell you at the time who who had made the the tackle. Um, <laughs> you know, seeing the replay, it appeared it appears to me that he does get his foot first, and it is a penalty. Uh, whether it's sufficiently clear and obvious, I don't know. I mean, that you're, you're, we're really starting to split hairs here, and it probably just shows how flawed the entire system around uh, VAR uh, is. It, it was a kind of a bit of an interruption of the game, and right. when you're in the when you're in the stadium and you just how want the game that, to continue, 
Craig, you know, that, that interruption, I mean, how much do you, does it affect the players? Do you think, you know, because this wasn't just a short period of time. This is a decent amount of time that yeah. went until the decision was made. Yeah. I, I don't know how much it affects the players, but it does take a little bit of the kind of the atmosphere away from the game. Okay. Um, you know, we're now privileging, you know, I understand the idea behind VAR, but, um, uh, you know, maybe a little bit of imperfection is probably better for the sake of the pace of the game. But in any case, it, 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 you know, at the time, we were all just sort of scratching our heads and we were all wondering what this was really about. Um, and uh, all of us were, you know, I went onto Twitter to look at a couple different fees to figure out what the uh, what the review was, which is a bit of a strange experience. I'm in the ground and you know, I don't know what's happening. Um, but oh, very you know, interesting. I, but seeing it again, it looked like it looked like a penalty. But uh, you know, I, I, I in real time, I, I think it would have been a very hard call to make. Okay, I think it's a penalty. I disagree with you, Max. But that's okay. That's what makes this show what what it is. I see where you're going on because you want to have a clear understanding or a, a clear decision. I could see that that there might be a little nuance to it because there are a couple different angles. So I, I see where you're going on, but. I, I think it's a penalty, but what do I know? But that's going to lead now to talk about the Fulham goal. And, Craig, again, you're on the other side of this, so you don't get a good view of it. But I'm just curious, your thoughts, you know, again, you've obviously seen the replays. Bobby Decadovery, and I said this to Emilio because, uh, I'm, you know, Emilio has a certain view of him. You know, is he a Premier League player? Well, if he – Takes goals like this, Craig. I think he is. Well, what are your thoughts about the goal from Bobby Decadovereed and also the reaction to Craven Cottage? That must have been pretty great. No, the reaction was was just unbridled uh, joy. We could see the goal reasonably well. Admittedly, yeah. I didn't see the arguable push in the run up to the goal. I was um, going to mention that there there is some talk about the push. Yeah, but uh, but the, it, it was quite clear when the ball got to Decadova Reed. And, uh, first of all, it was an excellent pass from Lookman. Uh, Decadova Reed's finish, finishing has been really good in the Premiership, and yeah. um, uh, it, it was it was an excellent finish. What struck me at the time was he took the shot very quickly and maybe earlier than what the goalkeeper what what Allison had been expected uh, expecting. Um, but yeah, we were. I, at one level, it was, it was as I said, unbridled joy. At another level, it was a sort of sense that we had it coming. We deserved to to be in the yep. lead. We had a, had a couple of opportunities earlier that were saved, uh, especially from Cavalero. And, you know, we had been dominating the play. The goal was coming. It was not against the run of the play. Okay, very good. All right. All right, guys, let's now transition. And, well, before we do that, Craig, back over to you, and then I want Max's thoughts. Again, Fulham scored the goal, and Liverpool came into the end of the half. You know, they finally started to show themselves a little bit. But the half ends 1-0 to Fulham. Craig, what what were you, what was going through your mind at halftime? And then I'll go to Max. Well, first of all, what went through my mind is I could go to the restrooms and there wouldn't be the usual rush that there is at, <laughs> at Craven Cottage. As you probably there know, you Craven Cottage, you know, it, the, the facilities are – quite spartan and they can be overwhelmed by the crowd (laughs) by the size of the crowd and yet i was able to use the facilities it was almost like a luxury so that was my first priority if i'm being really honest okay 
The second was that you couldn't get any beer because all the catering was closed. <laughs> and that was a, that was disappointing as well. And the third was they had this bizarre, like one way system of walking out of, 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 you know, when you wanted to walk down to the facilities yep. and walk, come back to the stand. Uh, there were all sorts of little persnickety rules, which I, I guess I understand, but they were kind of comical in some ways. Um, Look, I thought at halftime we deserved the one no lead, and it could have been more. And I knew the second half that uh, Liverpool would come at us, yeah. uh, and that a one no lead wasn't entirely safe. And I think every fan in the crowd uh, <laughs> thought the same thing. I can imagine that. Over to you, Max. Your thoughts at halftime? What was going through your mind? We already kind of saw towards the end of the first half in the last five minutes, Liverpool kind of picking it up, and I thought Salah maybe. When he first struck it, I thought it was in just based on the yep. angle on the TV. And he got a sense we were sitting back. And, and I had a similar thought to Craig in that, you know, Liverpool would give us a run for our money. And I just was concerned because I didn't think we could keep it up for another half because we already started sitting quite deep in the final stage I was of that just first about half. To say yeah. um, I was delighted, though. I mean, I went on Twitter and said, Premier League champions are having a laugh. You know, we're, we're bossing it with well worth our lead because uh, – I think a big part about it, being a supporter uh, in the States is certainly you're surrounded by, you know, glory hunters, whether it's Liverpool, United, Chelsea, Arsenal, et cetera, city fans. And it's just so nice to, to get one over them. Oh, of course. So I have so many friends and even my brother's actually, unfortunately a Liverpool supporter, uh, sad to say. Um, and just, to, just to have that, you know, no one gave us a chance. No, we, we even ourselves wrote ourselves off this match and to be up one at halftime was a great feeling. And, you know, it didn't last until the 90th minute, but, just having that sense of respect of, you know, we're Fulham. We're not the little club anymore. We can stick it to the big, big boys. It was big. It was big for us. Totally agree. And uh, you're up one nil at the half against Liverpool and Craig, you know, just like you already said, you knew it was going to be a monumental feat to pull this off with just a, a, a one goal lead. And I'm glad that Max already talked about this because I've watched the match back a few times and yes, Fulham were getting deeper and deeper. And basically, you know, Fulham were still doing their job. They were, you know, again, they had an opportunity early on in the second half, but they were they were definitely yeah. resolute, but the ball just kept going back to Liverpool. It, it, again, we were not breaking at this point. We were so deep, Craig. So let's talk about, say, the first 20 minutes of the second half had to have been extremely nervy. Like I said, we did have our moment early in, in the second half. But then they were just dominating the play. But did they really bother us until a couple of good opportunities and a great save from Ariola on Henderson? And then, of course, you have the Curtis Jones opportunity. But the Henderson one, to me, was massive because we were on the brink of giving up that goal. And he makes a key save because they were attacking us. There was relenting pressure. And, and then it all led up to that save. What, what were your thoughts leading up to that save and then the save by Ariola? Because I thought that was massive. Yeah, look, I think um, there are two chances that Liverpool had that really stand out in my mind. It was the it was the Henderson chance saved by Ariola, and then there was also the Jones chance where he yeah. effectively dribbled from one end to the other. At the end and of the actually, match, I yes. Thought, yeah, I thought actually Jones had actually a very good game in the midfield for um, for, for, for Liverpool. Um, but overall, you know, what strikes me is that we weren't cut open. Um, we sat That's deep, right. yes, maybe a little bit too deep. Maybe we could have had the possession a little bit more. We were starting to, I think, tire a bit, and we weren't able to hold on to the possession. Every once in a while, we did break. We, often, we tended to be along the left wing, 
um, with Cavallaro and Lookman uh, causing a few problems. So every once in a while we were a little bit dangerous in the counterattack and a little bit more finesse and a little bit more precision. We might have actually had a couple of opportunities. Um, so although it was one-way traffic, I don't really think that they were battering our goal. They had two no. chances. I would say one excellent chance, and Ariola came to the fore. One pretty good chance with the Jones. And yep. that was largely about it. Everything else was there were half chances or quarter chances. And I think that's what's very different is that I don't think that, you know, I think actually we were able to hold on to the lead. We were just unfortunate in the kind of penalty that was given away. Yep. And probably one can question, if we're going to question Scott Parker's decision-making, it has to be around, you know, uh, putting on Abubakar Kamara as a substitute because he is, you know, such a, uh, you know, he, he just, he, he brings a lot of volatility, let's just put it that way. And sometimes, and that was not a, the moment to have a kind of, um, you know, he, he often does things which after the fact you sort of scratch yep. your head. Okay, very good. All right, Max, over to you. And I said this on, on full time, and I like to be fair because we're going to talk about the situation that led, obviously, to the penalty and, and, and the goal. But before that, there was a situation with Adam Olukman who got a yellow card. Okay, remember this? And I asked this on full-time. Should Lookman have gotten a red card? What are, you, what are your thoughts on that? I've watched the, uh, the replay. What, what do you think of that? You know, again, if we're being fair, should he have gotten a red card? Or, or do you think yellow card was, was the right card given? In the moment, I remarked that it was actually really similar to what Kamara got sent off for against Palace earlier in the season. Okay. Where you just kind of overrun a ball, stick out your foot, and you go studs up into someone's ankles. You know, it's not a malicious tackle by any means, but okay. it's a dangerous one. Right. So, yeah, I mean, it very well could have been a red card. And I think we're actually pretty lucky to get a yellow because you look at the replay, it's, a, it's, it's an awful stamp, it, right? And it's that not kind of exposed near the ankle, and there's not much protection on the player nowadays. But, I mean, I think I was I was happy it was only yellow. Yeah, I think you do have to take into account a tent, and it wasn't. He didn't go out to hurt the player. He, kind of, he overran it, stuck out his foot. But yeah, might have been a bit of, bit of a let off there for sure. Okay, and, and that's why I wanted to bring him. I want to be fair when we're looking at this that we're not, you know, again just through Fulham glasses here that we're actually looking at the match and talking about other key moments. Okay, let's talk about the penalty. Craig doesn't sound like you've got a good view of this, but. Uh, Again, it's it's an unfortunate situation because I've watched this several times. And yes, I'm a Fulham fan, but I'm I'm gonna ask the question two ways. First of all, do you think it was a penalty? And let's reverse it. Let's say it's Fulham taking the penalty, uh Fulham taking the free kick. Do you think that Fulham would have been rewarded this if it was the same situation? I'm curious your view on this because again, this goes to my argument of big club bias. So Andre Mariner is the uh, is the ref here. So first of all, do you think that was a penalty? Again, it does hit Kamara's arm. He is turning. What are your thoughts on it as the uh, rule states? Do you think Andre Mariner got it right or wrong? What's your view on it? Um, I think the rule is that if your arm is above your shoulders and it hits your arm, even if you're trying to protect yourself, it's a, it's, it's a handball. So um, we can question whether that's a, 
good rule, but those are the rules. And yeah. um, it's up to the players to, to know the rules and to observe them. So it seems to me a pretty obvious um, penalty. Okay. Um, at the time, none of us could tell what the um, you know what 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 the, what the penalty was for, or why you know why it was being called. And I don't even think the Fulham players protested that much. Now, if it had been Liverpool in the other way, would it have been called? I I don't know. Yeah. Um, I do think big club bias is a reality and has been a reality for a very long time, not just in the Premiership, but in the Italian league where yep. the favoritism towards Juventus is notorious or in the Spanish league where favoritism towards Real Madrid and Barcelona is notorious. Um, and I actually think paradoxically VAR has served to reduce that bias because the referees can't get away with um, giving the borderline calls in favor of the big teams as much as they yep. – had done it in the past. That being said, um, you know, bias does exist, and yep. uh, you know, I think there is a kind of institutional bias against teams such as Fulham. But that, you know, at the end of the day, we didn't draw the match because of the refs. You could quibble on this line on, on, on one call or another. We were yep. unlucky with this penalty. I think, though. You have to question the decision to bring on Kamara in a game of this nature. You need somebody okay. who is calm, who is collected, collect, uh, you know, who who has who plays to a high level technically. Kamara is somebody you put on a match to sort of you know to to disrupt what's going on. He's a disruptive player, uh, and there is a time and a place for that. And I don't think this was the right match for him. Interesting take there. Max, what what do you make of what uh, Craig just shared what, in regards to Abubakar Kamara, the decision-making to bring him on? He is a wild card, as I just said. I think Craig makes an interesting point with that decision. And then, of course, the other part of this, was it a penalty to you? And then also, feel free to share your thoughts on, I wanted to bring it up, the big club bias. I believe it, it exists. And uh, I don't know if this call would be given if it was in reverse, but what are your thoughts? Because, again, Craig does mention this. If you look at the rule, then it was the right call, I guess. Even yeah. Though, I, even yeah. though it hurts. I, I don't think it's a, I don't think it's fair at all to actually criticize the substitution of Kamara. Okay. I think what Parker's logic was actually pretty sound. He saw that we were being battered. He saw that we were already sitting very deep. And we had no outlet. And he put on Kamara to give us an outlet. And I think uh, I, he's played that role in, in past matches that you put him on the pitch – so you can you put a long ball up, he runs onto it. He relieves the pressure for a couple of minutes. Without that, I think he saw Loftus, he was tiring, and he didn't provide that same level of energy. So I didn't have the problem with bringing him on. I agree, I think it was a penalty. I think you can criticize Kamara for jumping like that, but yep. I think that could have happened to any player in all honesty. He got very unlucky because it didn't it wasn't as if he stuck his arm out to block the ball. It hit off out of a bio from very close range onto his elbow. So yep. Yes, it's a penalty. On the other hand, it's very unlucky. And I don't think it's as egregious as maybe others are making it out to be. Okay. If you really want to blame someone for the goal, I think the blame has to go to Ivan Cavallero for the silly, silly foul he gave away yep. in that terrible position because there's no need for it. Cavallero is coming on from the wrong side of the player. It's not as if he's a last man. There are a number of defenders around. I don't remember who the player was fouled, but there's no need to dive in there in, in that position. Um, and as soon as that free kick was given away, I thought this could be dangerous and end up biting us in the end. So I'm not sure if I'm going to single out Kamara, but 
I think Cavalieri's foul does deserve some some attention. That's a good point because that doesn't happen without the foul. So that that's a good point. All right, Craig, go back over to you. Let's talk about what was going through your mind when this match ended. You know, like in the ending stages, we already talked about the opportunity from Curtis Jones. And I don't know if Fulmer really creating anything at the end, but I think it was still a rewarding point. What was going through your mind when when you heard the final whistle? Well, what went through my mind was the announcement that uh, everybody had to sit in their seats until the stewards <laughs> gave them permission to leave the stadium. And then they proceeded to say, everyone in blocks H1, H3, and H5, please make your way to the exits. And so we're all crowding together to to uh, exit the stadium, which kind of defeats the purpose defeats a little purpose, bit yeah. of social distancing. Although if you really think it matters in an outdoor context where everyone is wearing a mask. Um, so that was the first thing that I was thinking about. Uh Look, I didn't feel we were holding on to at the end that we were just you okay. know, counting the, the minutes down. Um, there were a few little whistles you could hear around the ground after about three minutes of the four minutes of, uh, of added time. But it didn't feel like we were clinging on by our fingernails. And I even thought that we probably had, were just as likely to score as they were by the end. Okay. Uh, they never, as I said before, Liverpool never cut us open. No, uh, and and that is actually quite a remarkable accomplishment considering how ropey our point. defense has been yes. even this season. That's a wonderful point because when you really look at it, Max, I'm glad that we're kind of ending talking about the match and talking about the clear-cut opportunities. Cutting Fulham open, it really didn't happen. Obviously, you have the opportunity from Henderson and the run by Curtis Jones, but beyond that, what are we talking about here? They struggled to really... Do what they wanted to do. Fulham took that all away. And that, to me, again, when you look at it and we talk about the defense, the improvements, and, and yes, I, I know I'm seeing all the comments, Fulham need another striker. I, I agree with all that. I totally agree with all that. But as I said to Emilio off-air, I thought the first thing that they needed to do was build up that defense. That's your building block, Matt. Yeah. They're on their way to doing that. And this proves it. If you can stifle... Liverpool, you could stifle anyone. Yeah, Anderson, superb. Otterbio, superb. I mean, these guys have the makings of club legends in them. And we were talking about the captaincy last week, and Anderson deserves it based yeah. on that performance. And let's talk about Ola Aina. Everyone was giving him absolute stick for how he played earlier in the season. Some were saying one of the worst defenders ever seen. Certainly, I was criticizing him. Yep. He's part of a back three that's beaten Leicester and drawn Liverpool only given up two goals to Man City as well. That's right. The yeah. things that happened to that back line, I think, honestly, are astounding. And it cannot be talked about enough, in addition to how the players have stepped up, but also how Scott Parker has marshaled them. Yep. It, it really beggars belief in some instances. And even Anthony Robinson, let's not forget. I was just first season of the Premier League. Yeah, he's, yes. he's playing out of his skin. Again, Areola, what a save he had on Henderson. The signings are coming up big. Um, and I think you're right. It's, and it's an amazing revitalization. Bobby yeah, again, the right wing back. Yeah. I mean, think about that, Max. Yeah, and again, it's, and yeah. it's working. And it's working. A, no. a, a right wing back who's scoring crucial goal, our top scorer, mind you, and someone who couldn't yeah. buy a goal for his life in the it's championship. Crazy. It's crazy. Okay, and and I'm glad that that's how we're ending because I really want to end with man of the match. And Craig, I want to go to you first because when I was thinking about this even yesterday, and I come to the same. Conclusion. I think that there are many players. I, I don't think you can really single one player out 
Craig, this to me was a was a team draw. You know, and again, I, I wish I was saying a team victory, but this was a team effort across the board. Were there any passengers? I don't think there were any passengers, and I'm glad yeah. that Max brought up Anthony Robinson because that's actually the name that really stuck with me when I watched back and looked at the job that he did on one of the best players in the league. You know, and again, we could talk about the push. You know, I've seen the push. Whatever. He did his job, and he did a very nice job. So, for you, who was the man of the match? Hmm. It's this is a tough one. It is a tough. I'm, one, isn't it? I'm I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with Lookman because I do think okay. that he just put them under such pressure throughout the game, especially in the first half, and I think that created space for some of the other players. I think he is so dynamic and so hard to stop. Um. Uh, but it could it could be four or five different players. I agree with you. I mean, Decordova, Reed. Uh, it could be Robinson. It could be Anderson. It could be our, our any of our three def- our central defenders. It could be Anguissa as well, who I also thought had another excellent game. So it's a close call. But I'm going to go with Lookman. Okay, great. And I'm going to share this from Chris Davidson. It's been he's going with Anderson, and then that's a good one too. Max, who's your man of the match? And if you're watching live, feel free to share. Who you think was man of the match? Yeah, I was initially leaning towards Lookman uh, because Craig said that I'll, I'll look for something else. And I would say has to be, for me, Decadova Reed. In that instance, the goal scorer. And I think it's almost underrated how good that strike was to beat Allison from that range. It's not a close uh, strike. And the way it swerved and dipped uh, into the bottom left, that was a great, great strike. Great. And he's our top goal scorer. So a bit basic, the, the match winner. But I'll go with Decadova Reed. But okay. as Craig said, it could be. I mean, it could be. As you guys mentioned, any of the back five, even Cavalera could have a decent shout for how well he ran in behind. Yep. So, you know, you know, you're as uh, Mike Gregg always says, Ross, you know, it's a bad match when the goalkeeper is a man of the match. It's a I good know. match when you can essentially probably say eight of the players could deserve to be it. Th- that's right. And uh, it's funny because I want to go back here, Craig, because I think a key to getting this point, and I still feel that Fulham should have won the match, is central midfield. You've already talked a little bit about this, but. Let's go back and let's talk about the job of Vinkisa. But you also have to talk about the job of Mario Lamina because they stopped Liverpool for doing what they wanted to do. I know we're focusing on the defense, but these two players were vital. Yeah, look, I th- I think um, and I, I think that they dominated the, the middle part of the pitch in the first half. And in the second half, I think they prevented the likes of the you know Henderson. Uh, or, or Vinaldum to you know from getting a lot of space um, in the middle of the pitch. I mean, you know where Liverpool had the ball, they tended not to be in very dangerous positions, and I That's think right. it's because we had those two guys anchoring the midfield. That's right. Um, they weren't holding midfielders; they were, you know, at least you know, they were sort of box both box to box the uh, midfielders, but. Um, it didn't leave a lot of space that was open for for Liverpool. And I, th- I do think that also makes it easier for our defense to stay organized when they don't have to be chasing players in the middle of the pitch. Right, but they were very active, extremely active, Craig. A lot of interceptions. A, yeah, yeah a, a lot of – I mean, Lamina made, I think, three or four key interceptions. In, Absolutely. In the That's half. why I wanted to bring him to the table too. I know we're yeah. focused – on Nguisa, but I think you also have to talk about Mario Lamina. Go walk, go watch the match again, and you'll see some key tackles like you just mentioned. So I'm, I'm, I'm glad that we're all going there. All right. 
Guys, fantastic show. This has been a great show. You know, it's funny. I just did full-time and uh, with, with Emilio, but I was also looking forward to doing the show with the two of you. Before we Thank go, you. Craig, final thoughts before we wrap this up. Final thoughts. We're going to stay up for sure. See, I'm with you, Craig. I'm with you. I'm with you. If Craig feels confident, I feel confident because I, I actually feel that way. I felt that way a couple of matches ago, but this solidified it. So that's his final thoughts. Max, over to you. What are your final thoughts? Final thoughts. The flip side of that, I do agree. I, I think we will stay up, but let's not forget I, we are 18th in the league. Yep. And the Brighton match just takes on so much. See, I knew you were going to go back to the Brighton match. Can we, can we just wait another day on the Brighton match? I wish, I wish Burnley didn't win. I really wish they, they didn't win. But, you know, okay. the teams around us are no slouches either. So Don't worry. Our, my other prediction is that Arsenal will, will be relegated. <laughs> <laughs> They're not playing well, Craig. They're not playing well at all. Okay, okay. very good. All right. Well, listen, it's been a great show, but we do have to wrap this up. For Craig Coben and Max Cohen, I'm Russ Goldman. Thank you as always for watching and listening to Cottage Talk. It's the 90th minute and all to play for at the end of the match. All your mates are around. You've got your McDougat share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. Are you in? I know I'm in. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. <laughs> Just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely, and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.